Small Changes, Big Impact, a DFCM podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Jeremy Resmovitz. Joining us by teleconference today is Adam Pyle, a family physician at St. Michael's Hospital in Toronto, lecturer in the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto, adjunct assistant professor at Queen's University, and the Canadian medical lead for the Toronto Wolfpack rugby team. In today's episode, we explore the challenges in encountering a new medical system. Thanks for joining us, Adam. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure. So tell me a little bit about yourself um, and, and what you're doing right now. So, uh, so I'm a primarily a community family medicine physician. I work in an inner city community and I also do some acute care, some sports medicine, some eMERGE. Um, my training uh, is, is such that I've trained in a, in a few different locations. I spent some time in Chicago and some time in the Caribbean, uh, but I came back to Toronto where I'm from and, and, uh, and completed my specialty training here. Uh, as circumstances uh, allowed, uh, I'm currently talking to you from New Zealand. Uh, that's where I've decided with my family to undertake a locum opportunity for this year. So we've taken some some time away from our, our busy Toronto lives in order to uh, to practice medicine out here in rural New Zealand. That's awesome. Uh, so you took your whole family to to New Zealand. Yeah. So uh, happily and thankfully, my a very supportive uh, partner and wife is a nurse practitioner. So she was also able to practice in a medical context here, and uh, and our our Kiwi our Kiwi brothers and sisters uh, across the ocean make it very easy for Canadian healthcare professionals to undertake these locum opportunities and participate in their healthcare system. Um, the schooling here is very similar. So my, my three children are involved in school here and they will tell you that uh, their favorite part so far is the after school surfing program on Fridays. Uh, so kind of a different lifestyle uh, than, in, than in Canada right now, as I understand you guys have uh, not, not the weather conditions for surfing. Um, oh, but, we're surfing. Uh, but... I'm, I've been going car surfing. <laughs> oh, car me. Oh, yeah, it's awesome. <laughs> if you don't change your snow tire to snow tires, you can go car surfing. It's fantastic. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's just been great, and it's been a great opportunity that we've been happy to pursue. And uh, and over here, the, uh, the people and the, the lifestyle and the culture are very supportive, very similar to Canada in a lot of ways. Tell me tell me a story about a time where where you felt the need that you had to make a change. So I think leading into uh, this this leave opportunity to come to New Zealand is probably a good example of a change time for for myself and my family. I think uh, physician wellness has become a sort of a hot topic and and uh, and often a cliche and a buzzword in a lot of academic and and media circles. Um, but it was becoming apparent to myself and my partner that uh, we were living very busy lives in Toronto and perhaps not taking as much time as we wanted to to spend with our children and to unplug uh, from the, the day-to-day and to, and to pursue opportunities that were more uh, family-oriented and outdoors and uh, reconnect a little bit with why we decided to practice medicine and the way in which we want to practice moving forwards. So I think, you know, it's it's very supported uh, to do academic medicine in some of the big centers like Toronto. But as you know, the uh, the asks keep piling up and it's difficult to say no. And when you're in your early career, I think the, the tendency is to say yes to all the things. And I think it was time for us 
uh, we were realizing increasingly to take a step away from that and reevaluate what we want the next five or 10 years to look like now that we're out of our training and out of our first part of our careers. You may have a um, similar genetic background to me as I also have um, the gene for can't say no. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to, to say no, especially when you're trying to build your, your career. So what did you do? So uh, we work a number of jobs. And, and as I mentioned, the, we are very lucky that they are quite supportive. So uh, we approached our, our, various, uh, our various bosses and asked very nicely on bended knee if we could take some time and if they would protect our jobs until we came back. And, and you know, they, they were just great about it. Um, everyone at the University of Toronto was, was very supportive of this decision. Um, they were happy to have me communicate in the way I'm communicating with you now at a distance and to do uh, some things that maybe would normally have been done in person uh, via phone or via the internet. And so uh, we got this, this limited time, sort of 10 months to come here and, uh, and sort out our lives a little bit. So was there one thing in particular that uh, happened with your kids that uh, you missed out on or something with your wife that you said, you know what, this has got to stop? Yeah, so it's a good question. So luckily there wasn't. It was more a combination of things having come to a close. So the first five years of my career were over. I had written my emergency medicine exam last year. I had a return of service uh, with the uh, Ministry of Health and Long-Term Care that had just ended. Um, I had completed a number of sort of early career goals around teaching opportunities and bringing to close some research projects. And, uh, and it was more a case of, if we don't go now, I'm afraid we never will. And we could just continue on this path forever and then look back at the end of it and say, oh, you know, we didn't do those things or take that time. So uh, we prepared uh, both, you know, financially and geographically to make a big switch. And, and it was, you know, six months to a year of planning. But at the end of it, uh, uh, we've ended up here and, and we couldn't be happier with it. So what town are you in New Zealand? So we're in a small town on the North Island. So in the Northern part of the North Island, I think a lot of people will know Auckland in New Zealand. So we're about an hour and a half North of Auckland in a small beachside farming community called Waipu, uh, which has a population of, oh, I don't want to get this wrong, but approximately 3000 people. Wow. It's probably a little different than uh, practicing at St. Mike's. It is very different, yeah. But I've I've enjoyed and embraced those differences because, as you well know, the the people in family medicine uh, are one of the most attractive features of it, and the people here certainly are quite different to the people in Toronto. So tell me a little bit about the people in uh, in Waipu and how they're a little bit different. Yeah, so I think rural New Zealand uh, has this uh, great propensity towards really enjoying the lifestyle and the land that they come from. So uh, people here seem to get up early, they seem to work hard, and then at the end of the day, they seem to stop. And there doesn't seem to be quite the same attraction to getting ahead and working more hours and collecting more money or more things or sort of conspicuous consumption of items partially because of the limited availability of certain things in New Zealand, but I think also because of the culture here. Uh, so people are uh, a lot more outdoorsy, it seems, and they really enjoy their country and its natural beauty. Uh, they enjoy going to the beach and, and sort of surfing and running and biking and hiking and all of the things that you can do here for free that, uh, that are just wonderful because of the climate and the, and the location. So tell me some of the challenges or um, barriers that you were anticipating 
in, in making the move? So I was anticipating uh, some challenges with with sort of continuing duties at home and being called back <laughs> via email and and via meetings and, and things, but uh, but by and large these have these have proven to be okay and not insurmountable. I have a number of research projects still ongoing that that I'm sort of teleconferencing conferencing in for, um, and some educational projects that are still happening. The the Toronto Wolf Pack, as you may know, has recently signed. Um, a, a major New Zealand rugby player who's going to be our, our new Hallmark player in Toronto. And so that's raised a lot of, uh, a lot of media attention on, in both this country and in Toronto, coincidentally, uh, that he happens to be a New Zealander. So it's going to be a big season for them. And so I've been meeting with uh, the members of the medical team there as well. So I, I was uh, apprehensive that this was going to be a little bit stressful and difficult to negotiate, but by and large, it's been, it's been great. That's amazing. I'm I'm really proud and, and happy that uh, you're able to to do something like that. You know, to... I feel very lucky. Very lucky. Yeah. Um, so, tell me about some of the challenges or the barriers um, that you've encountered from a medical standpoint practicing in New Zealand versus you know St. Mike's. So it's a very different system here in a lot of ways. I think uh, countries with the the sort of the publicly funded healthcare system. Uh, tend to have a lot of similarities in their ethics and the way in which they provide care. But there are some pretty significant differences here in New Zealand. Just to highlight a few of them, uh, they do have uh, free pharmacare here, or, or essentially free pharmacare, so medications uh, for, for public consumption on a pre-approved formulary are covered by the government, which is, uh, as you can imagine, pretty huge and, and a pretty large departure from what we may be used to in North America. Um, they also have a semi-private uh, public, uh, public slash primary care system where people do pay a nominal fee in a lot of cases to visit a GP or to, to enter into the system even though hospital care is free. And so they, they do, or heavily subsidized, so they do have a, a sort of a dichotomous almost a two-tier system where you can access a private uh, system that runs in parallel to the public system if you want, and that begins at the primary care doorway. Uh, but, uh, but by and large, uh, I think because they are similar to us in that they, uh, they have a lot of public health interventions and they have a strong population-based health plan for the country, uh, and because it's so small, I think, population-wise, there are there are a lot of similar challenges to what we face in uh, in Toronto and in Canada. So so please tell me about a time a challenge that you faced with a patient that uh, you know really made you wonder how you were doing things and you said you know what we need to we need to make a change here. So what I like about this country and what I found to um, to be a tool that we can use here that uh, that I was hoping to bring back with me to Canada is people here seem to take a lot of ownership for their health. And so this can be a plus in a lot of ways. Uh, people are more conscious of dietary and lifestyle concerns, it seems, and they don't have the same difficulty with accessing medication. But one of the challenges then is that they don't come in. So episodic uh, care for preventive health type issues perhaps doesn't happen in, in as, um, as prolific a way as you might hope it to. And so one of the challenges I have found is, is getting patients back in for return visits, getting patients in for preventive health visits, 
where they know they have to pay for each primary care visit. Um, and it becomes a little more difficult for, for you to access them rather than for them to access you. And so that's happening in New Zealand right now. So have you made any changes to, to try and bring them in? Yeah, so one of the things we try and do, as, as we do in Ontario, and as I'm sure you do, yourself do, is we try to max back these visits. And so what is supposed to be a 15-minute or 10-minute encounter with a GP ends up stretching to 20 and 25 minutes because you're just not sure when you're going to see them again. And I'll give the example of uh, skin cancer, which is, a, which is a big problem in this country because of the ultraviolet differences in, geographically. Um, but people here seem to have a lot of skin cancer. And, uh, and so when you see suspicious lesions and you want them to be biopsied or excised, uh, often it is something that you want to do that day or that week or, or within a limited time span. And you're trying to motivate patients to, uh, to buy into the fact that you, you are interested in helping them in the short term and, and getting these lesions dealt with. And sometimes that means repeated visits. And, and sometimes that means doing the office today and trying to get things done, even if your schedule stretches a little long. So I'm no stranger to uh, stretching my schedule, if you will. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we have the same issues here, obviously. So what do you think is, um, is, is a solution to the, to the time issue, um, especially for Canadians practicing or Ontarians practicing or, that maybe we can learn from, from people in New Zealand? Yeah, so the idea of the healthcare home uh, has really uh, come under a lot of scrutiny, I would say recently, but also been adopted in a lot of places in different ways. So both in Ontario and Canada in general, but also here in New Zealand, they're doing a model of the healthcare home. And I think one of the issues they're looking at in both of our systems is how to meet patients where they are at, right? So how to uh, bring them the care they need at the time they want it, whether that's increased urgent care access, whether it's weekend and evening clinics, whether it's times when they can be triaged for an urgent appointment that day, if they need to be seen that day. And then subsequently when they are in the office, checking up on some of the other things. So using our electronic medical record, which of course is all different here. And, and I'm sure as you know, we all love to learn a new electronic medical record when we come to a new location. Um, but using that electronic medical record to flag reminders, to get people to uh, to remember or to access their preventive health at the same time that they might be there for an acute issue. And I think technology plays a big role here, even in rural New Zealand. I think we are we're trying our best to, as a clinic, as a group, as a university, as a, as a nation, to use these opportunities to meet people on their schedule for the medicine that they need without, of course, compromising, you know, finances and our own wellness in, in the interim. So do you have an example of, of you going out to a patient's home? Yeah, so here, here in New Zealand, uh, the, the medical home model that they have uh, has just recently included a physician triage model. So that means that uh, for a certain period of time in the mornings, uh, physicians are now answering phones. And they're answering phones for people who want to be seen that day and could maybe be sorted out on the phone. And what it is meant is a 50% uh, approximately decrease in the number of people actually physically coming into the clinic for urgent issues that can maybe be solved next day or over the phone, which frees up uh, almost an entire day's worth of physician time uh, for a moderately sized clinic to deal with other issues in the clinic where people do need to be seen in person. And so often people will think they need to be seen in person and it can be sorted out over the phone or vice versa. They think it can be sorted out over the phone and they actually need to come in. 
and uh, having that physician triage, the one-to-one -one contact with a physician over the phone for a few hours in the morning helps to sort out a lot of these issues and point people in the right direction and subsequently frees up a lot of healthcare provider time, nursing time, physician time, time that can be spent on vaccinations, preventive health, uh, you know, well baby checks, things that need to happen in the clinic. Sounds amazing. Is it the physician for like the most responsible physician for that patient that's answering the phones? Yeah, so it's a great question. They've toyed with a couple of different ways of doing it. And it seems like they are trying to encourage that sort of model. Um, but right now it's on a duty roster situation. So often it is not the MRP, the most responsible physician, but it is the physician who is on that morning. They do have a rostering system here where patients have a primary physician but they also have a, uh, a shared care model where multiple physicians within a practice are all sort of vaguely aware of their patient population. And, and I will tell you in a small town like this, you're seeing these patients on the street that you know they're in my touch rugby league after work. I'm, I'm going to play beach volleyball tonight with a bunch of them. So you're <laughs> seeing these patients all the time. And I think, um, and I think people are, are just a little closer knit in terms of community and who knows whom. So, uh, so I'm not sure it necessarily matters in this model here, but, uh, but yeah, in the big cities, I think they're trying definitely to connect the most responsible physician with the patient. Yeah. I've worked in a small town also, and, um, you end up having like four locations that you visit for like a year, you know, your the clinic home, the, the restaurant and, yeah. and the yeah. pharmacy or something like that. Um, you know, or the beach, I, the, that's all you're going to. Uh, and everybody else is there. I mean, you just meet everybody. And so it's interesting that um, what sometimes doesn't fly in the big city from an ethics standpoint is uh, completely normal as the way of life because you're a human being existing that's in right. a small community. And so I, that's fascinating, um, triaging, physician triage. I wonder if we're going to yeah. bring it back to, let's say, Toronto, St. Mike's. I want to try it in my office. Yeah, so I, I definitely think there are a number of ideas that I've been sort of collecting on a pad of paper and typing into my phone here that are things that I want to mention at a, at a grand rounds or at some sort of lecture, ideas that I think that we could benefit from and learn from our, our Kiwi brothers and sisters about how they are managing some of these aspects of healthcare, because I definitely think there's some good learning here that we could bring back to our, even our larger urban environments in terms of how they handle things. So uh, I don't want to spoil your grand rounds, but... Maybe, maybe the top five, top five things top you might, five. you've learned so far. <laughs> so, so definitely uh, the physician triage would be on the list. Um, another thing that I, that I particularly like that they do here is they have all the nurses handle all the prescription refills. So uh, at, at my clinic in particular, but I gather at a, at a bunch of other clinics as well, the, the nurses liaise with the pharmacy for all prescription refill requests and triage them through as well. So do they actually need refills? Which medications? How much? For how long? Whether this was instigated by the patient or by the pharmacy? So those sorts of questions all come through nursing. Um, another thing that they do here that I really like is they have great, great integration between their district health boards and their primary care offices in terms of referring people in electronically uh, to the system. And that could be to the emergency department, that could be to the specialists. Uh, they have a, a good back and forth electronically and, uh, and great patient um, care access that way. 
similarly, uh, uh, for, for number four, I guess I'm up to now, I would say that they have a, a pretty seamless electronic medical record transfer here, uh, where most of the country is on one primary care um, product. And so consequently, when patients hop between practices, the seamless transition of electronic medical records directly in a paper-free manner happens quite, uh, quite easily from what I've witnessed. Um, now, I'm sure that the, this is not always the case and that, that it's not always as seamless as, as I might hope uh, for, for some of these things. But I think compared to what we have uh, with a fragmented, uh, siloed sort of system, the, there, are, there are definitely advantages to the way in which they do that here. And then uh, finally, I would say um, their uh, pre-hospital uh, uh, kind of uh, access and provider network is, uh, is excellent. It is mostly volunteer. So I, I have no idea how it functions as well as it does, um, but they have a St. John's Ambulance primarily volunteer-based system. They have mostly volunteer firefighters out here, mostly volunteer paramedics. They have a great helicopter transfer system. And I am shocked at how well they're able to, uh, to triage patients in the field and to access care. Uh, and uh, and this, this starts sort of at their, their surf life-saving clubs on the coast. It, it moves towards their land ambulance and then their air transfer, which are all excellent programs that are largely volunteer based uh, with some trained and staff personnel as well. And of course their fire people um, make a part of that system as well. And they're also volunteer based. So, so which one do you think you're going to implement first when you come back to Toronto? Which, uh, which of these items? Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's a good question. I want to, I want to tackle um, some of their community practice based in interventions, I would say first, because that seems to be the lowest hanging fruit uh, for, for what we could do, I think, or implement moving forwards. I think some of the national level paramedic <laughs> issues maybe have some um, medical legal complications associated with them. But I think the spirit of all of these ideas are that, uh, are that Kiwis take care of each other. And, uh, and I know that's easier to say when the population is so small and the, and the, the country is smaller and, and people are, are less spread out. Um, but they do have some rural areas here and they, and they do still have, you know, good health outcomes and good primary care and good integration of the system over some, some not insignificant geography. So, uh, so I think there are definitely lessons there that can be applied to Canada, where we also have similar population density variances, um, and some of our medicine is practiced very rurally. Tell me a time when you're the medical lead for the for the Wolfpack rugby team, where uh, you noticed that you know what something needed to change. Yeah, so the Toronto Wolfpack's road into the Super League was was a bumpy one. It's a novel team, as as people may be aware. So it uh, it it plays games both here in Toronto and in England and France. So it plays primarily in a league that's based over there. So there's a lot of travel time for the players. It's the first transatlantic professional sports team. Uh, and so it holds this, you know, unique position as a, as a team with, with two coasts or, or two locations. And, uh, and a, we started off playing in the, essentially the British thirds division and have moved up to the super league over a period of years. And so when, when we were in our first season, it was, uh, it was anything goes. It was trying to conform Canadian regulations to what the RFL wanted uh, in terms of its medical standards. And, and some of the medications we didn't have over here or they weren't available. Some of the training was only available in England. 
you know, some of the, uh, the supplies and the, um, the way in which they practice sports medicine on the sidelines was, was actually uh, more advanced than what we were doing here and different. Uh, and their pre-hospital medicine was quite different. So for, for myself and the other members of the medical team, it was playing a lot of catch up and trying to integrate into their system so that games wouldn't be held up or canceled by, <laughs> by our need to, uh, to do due diligence for the sports med side of things. And so what needed to happen, or what we were recognizing increasingly needed to happen, is we needed to standardize all this and have it fit into the Canadian system. So to get people insurance here, both you know malpractice insurance and healthcare coverage for the players, to make sure that we had equipment that was equivalent to what they wanted, to do the, uh, the training that they wanted us to do. And so one of the aspects of that that we've now undertaken is to bring the courses here, um, to hold them at U of T and at St. Mike's um, and partner with the RFL and, and get some people some training on this side of the ocean. So, uh, so it was really a learning process and a growth curve as these things are over, over three years. But now here we are in the Super League and we've signed Sonny Bill Williams as people may have, have heard. So, uh, so it's a great uh, shout out for Toronto and the Toronto sports uh, teams that, uh, that we managed to get such a hallmark player and now we're playing in the British Super League. Yeah. That's amazing. Do you have any final words of inspiration for people today? Yeah, so uh, another great question. I think that um, if there's anything that my, my humble origins and, and teaching and, and path in medicine can teach people is that you can do whatever you want in it. Um, and it doesn't just have to be in medicine. I would urge everyone to take a look at their careers and take a look at their paths. If, if they were struggling with the same sort of questions that I was struggling with, and if you have the opportunity to, to take some time and to try another thing, you know, be a rugby doctor, be an emergency doctor, be a family medicine doctor, move to another country, uh, try to do a job that is different than yours, try to have a side hustle or a side gig as, as it's becoming known. Um, then, then I would urge you to seize those opportunities because I don't think any of us are getting any younger, and uh, and often you know the work that you do can have uh, can have great great implications and repercussions to your home life and your, your sort of your regular life when you come back. Yeah, I think that's amazing. Just for all those listeners who don't uh, who aren't aware of uh, acronyms, I believe the RFL is the Rugby Football League. That's right. Yeah, just making sure. Adam, thank you again so much for coming in today. Uh, really appreciate it. Um, hope you had fun, and uh, we'll thank catch you, you on. Much. We'll catch you when you get back. Thank you. I appreciate it, and thanks for having me again. No problem. Take care. This podcast was made possible through the support of the Department of Family and Community Medicine at the University of Toronto. Special thanks to Alison Mullen, Brian De Silva, and the whole podcast committee. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.